This podcast is brought to you by Kingdom at Work. Check out their interactive workshops, events, leadership coaching blog, and more at www.kingdomatwork.com or follow them on all major social media platforms. Kingdomatwork.com. Welcome to I Work Rim this afternoon as we're back in Rogers, Arkansas. Site of the Work Matters Conference. Love for you to check out Work Matters as a ministry, workmatters.org, workmatters.org. And we'd love for you to engage with us online. That's right, Jim. So our website is really the foundation of where everything comes from, but iworkforhim.com is our website. I work the number four, him.com. And um, if people are interested in maybe just looking back at past shows to find out um, who they maybe have missed, um, we talked a lot about Work Matters. They can even put in the word Work Matters in the search and find other shows where we've highlighted it if they want to learn more. Um, but just to, that they can go there and connect with us. We have a contact page, so they can either call into our listener line. That phone number is there on the contact page. Um, they can sign up to be a part of our prayer team. They can send us an email if there's something that they have on their heart. We've had a lot of people really share stories of how their faith has impacted their workplace. And we'd love for people to know that that's an option for them as well. IWorkForHim.com. Got an incredible email today from somebody new to the I Work For Him Nation and shared a great story. We'll share it on a future show, but we want to let you know we're getting some of that feedback. And speaking of the I Work For Am Nation, when you're out there on our website, consider joining the I Work For Am Nation. This has nothing to do with the club. You're not paying a fee. We're just asking Christ followers to step up and to become a change agent in their workplace by praying for those that they work alongside each and every day, looking for ways to serve them over and above what your job requires you to do. Looking for ways to befriend people outside of the workplace because those relationships are what that what is going to lead people to Christ. But all along, being a person of excellence because every Christ follower in their job, no matter what you do, you should be the number one employee in your company, in your position because that's how we represent Christ each and every day. So go out to iWorkForM.com, click on the iWorkForM Nation flag, and join today. Start transforming your workplace tomorrow. As we said, we are on location at the Work Matters Conference right here in Rogers, Arkansas, and we've gone through the hallways and we've grabbed one of the speakers, and we just wanted to hear, we wanted you guys to hear from his heart. We've got John Tyson. He's the lead pastor at Church of the City in New York. We didn't have to go to New York to do this interview. (laughs) We got to drag him down to Rogers, Arkansas. John Tyson, welcome to I Work For Him. Thanks so much. Great, uh, great joy to be on here. It's the greatest New York accent I've ever heard before. <laughs> Thank you. Very, very strong Brooklyn accent. <laughs> yeah, is that what it is? Yes. John, last night we got to hear you at the executive, I don't know, what was that called last? It was just an engagement. Kickoff, launch, uh, yeah, The kickoff for the Work Matters Conference. Got to hear a little bit of your story. Yeah. And got to hear you joke about sinkholes, but not, use, the, use sinkholes as an analogy. But before we get to all that, let's just hear a little bit of your story. How did you first come to be a Jesus follower? So uh, I, I dropped out of high school when I was 16. And uh, I worked in a meat factory. I actually did an apprenticeship as a butcher. So I am a... Tr- see the butcher oh, pastor. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so you can be the priest. And yes, I mean, but except, you know, the new covenant makes all of those analogies <laughs> challenging to... Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I started dating a girl who said, if you want to go out with me, you have to come to church. I had experience with church, and, um, but I was just totally put off by the hypocrisy. You know, I saw high school kids doing all the things non-believers were doing, and, and I'd go to church, and then they'd be worshiping. It was a real turnoff. But she invited me to a Pentecostal church, and so I ended up uh, going to a church that was in the middle of a revival, and not in the American sense, which is a guest speaker, a, mm-hmm. an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so 
against my will in many ways. It felt like I had no plans to become a Christian, was very happy without God, just was compelled by what I saw with these people and just got swept into the kingdom of God. So that's sort of how it happened. So that's incredible. So that happened down in Australia, I imagine. And so that eventually then led you up to the States. Yeah, so I got a heart for um, the kingdom of God and spiritual awakening uh, in that revival and just felt called to America. So when I was 20, I ended up getting a scholarship to study theology and uh, I moved here in 1997. So I'm actually more American than I am Australian at this point. Well, that's okay. We'll, ta- we'll yeah, take it. Because you'll you're, take it. You're, 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 your heart and your passion for the gospel is incredible. So, but you ended up, so you, you came here to study, yep. but you ended up staying. Did you end up marrying the girl that you were dating? No, I did no, not. She's didn't. in Australia happily so married to somebody else, I'm sure. Happily married to somebody else. No, I, I met so a girl uh, doing the campus orientation. So I'd been in the country two weeks <laughs> and then went off. And they called Bible College Bridal College. Yes. You know, married by May and all that sort of stuff. So that was So where'd story. you go to Bible College then? It's a school called Tacoa Falls College. Sure, we've heard of Tacoa Georgia. Falls. Yeah, so. Come on, absolutely. Yep. Love that. Okay. So you meet your wife during orientation week. And that, and then I call my parents and I say, I think I've met the girl I'm going to marry. And then they say to me, you've been in America two weeks. Maybe there's some other women out there. Give it a little time. It's like, <laughs> game over. <laughs> so I married that girl. And uh, yeah, 20 years this year. Loving it. We have a son who's just graduated from high school, and we have a daughter who is just about to turn 16. So we're going to be super young empty nesters, and we're really excited about that. And you're raising them all in New York City. Yes. Which We've is, been in New York 13 years. so Which is no small task. Yeah, I mean, I can see from the outside how people would perceive this as being very challenging. In many ways, it is very challenging, but New York is one of the greatest cities in the world. Mm. If you want your kids to be global citizens, understand culture, there's no better place to raise your kids than in New York City. So my kids' level of cultural awareness, sophistication, understanding is is pretty extraordinary. I, I wish I grew up in New York to have the experiences they've had. Wow. Both love Jesus, both thriving in their faith, um, but they've seen it all, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they've seen it all yeah. uh, to an exponential level. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about your connection to Work Matters. How did that happen? Uh, so I think... I'm not exactly sure, but my <laughs> my guess is uh, I, I work for an organization um, as a spiritual director for an organization called PraxisLabs.org. And PraxisLabs.org. Yes. Okay. And they are a Christian startup accelerator. And so one of my best friends started that organization, runs that organization. And so he said, hey, I need someone to do uh, develop a theology of faith and work and spiritual formation for the entrepreneur's hearts. And so I've been doing that for several years. I think the Work Matters folks came to an event they do, which I think is called the Alternative Imagination Summit. And they heard me give a talk on faith and work, and they said, hey, would you be willing to come and do our event? So I did that last year, and I don't know how well it went, but it went well enough for them to say, come and do another one. So here we are. (laughs) Mm. So you're you're speaking today. You've already spoken. I'm done. First talk of the day. Frame the day. You framed the day. So how'd you frame the day? Oh, I, I framed the day primarily about character. And uh, so, I, I, you know, I, I have a reasonably developed theology of work, but it feels like at the moment the most important thing is who Christians are before they go into the workplace. And, you know, there's just so many leadership crises in the marketplace and in the church where people are literally asking, is there such a thing as a credible Christian leader? And so I wanted to address some of the underground issues rather than just theology, but more heart. And uh, so I talked about how David had an unconfronted sin pattern that ultimately led to his life imploding. And how do we recognize those sins in our lives now that 
may not look like anything, but can lead to that Bathsheba moment. So you you hinted at this last night. Well, yeah. you you married a woman from Holiday. Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah. So Florida. you're Holiday, Florida. So yeah. all of our Florida listeners are like, really? Yes. This guy from Australia, who's a pastor at a church in New York City, marries a lady from Holiday, yeah. whose father was a pastor. Yes. And you said while you were there, you it was actually when I was in Orlando. You but it doesn't Orlando? matter. It's another part. It's they're worse in Orlando. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, I know they're worse in Pasco. Yeah. I don't, I don't think else. anybody wants to claim the yeah, ability exactly right. to be worse because it really. You does. guys win. You guys win the lightning strike competition. Oh, yes, that's oh a my fact. goodness. That well, is really, a fact. the I four quarter. Yes, yeah. for sure. There's yeah. no control uh. that. But you talked about sinkholes last night, and yeah, how sure. the, it just talked that story because that all ties into what you talked about today. Yeah, well, I, I had no framework or understanding of what a sinkhole was, and uh, walking down the street one day, I saw a house that had just, a, a big chunk of it had just collapsed into a hole. And I just didn't have a framework for what could cause that. What, I, I honestly thought, was this a bomb? Was this an explosion? Had, had you know, something happened like that? And so I talked to someone and said, oh, no, that's a sinkhole. And I was like, well, what is a sinkhole? Mm-hmm. They're like, well, where a hole emerges in the earth and swallows whatever's above it. And I was like, why do they build on top of possible sinkholes. And they said, well, that's the challenge. They don't do it on purpose. They don't know what's under there. And uh, it's that principle that there's these underwater streams and rivers that uh, when the water is depleted or the flow is blocked, a gap emerges. And if the weight is too heavy, it just collapses down into that gap. And that is a metaphor in many ways for our, our souls. If we stop paying attention to the inner work of our life, we can have so much influence or stress or success that it just collapses into the hole that's left where there should be time with God and formation and those sorts of things. So, And then I've, I watched a series of leaders' lives implode when they stopped attending to the issues of the heart. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about that and more about your experience at Praxis Labs and just all kinds of things that are going on in New York City. We've got John Tyson here. He's the lead pastor from Church of the City in New York. And, you, and we're all here, courtesy of Work Matters. You can mm-hmm. check it out online, workmatters.org. So want to finish up the story. Go ahead, Martha. Well, you were sharing about sinkholes and how you, know, you came to learn why they exist or yeah. why they happen. Sure. And um, you saw that correlation with our spiritual lives. Just, just dig into that a little further, because I think that we can all learn from that. And being from Florida and a lot of our listeners in Florida, they can... Maybe I uh, hope they don't have to see us. There's yeah, things, experience yeah. it, but things always be, lurking. But they underneath. can be reminded of yeah. the analogy. Well, I mean, I, it, it came back to me just it, there's so so much failure in the church right now, and so much failure with visible Christian leaders. Catholic Church, non-denominational churches, Southern Baptists have just dealt with major issues. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the stuff with non-denominational churches, and I just was trying to figure out like what. Why does significant impact in leadership often result in failure? Mm. So obviously there's, there's increased press, uh, uh, pressure, stress. There's all these external forces. But then there's other leaders who make it through. So, you know, with this uh, Billy Graham recently dying, this is a man that made it all the way through. Like, what is the difference? And it's really the visible things. It's the, it's the underground forces that nobody sees. Uh, that those leaders seem to have attended to. And if you go back and talk to leaders who have failed, and I've had heartbreakingly access to a few of them, it's always things like, got too busy, started neglecting the core practices of my life, stopped living under God's authority, started to get entitled because of the pressure or the success. And when you don't abide, Jesus says you wither. Mm. When you do abide, you bear fruit that will remain, be filled with joy, prove his disciples. So... It's about that principle of taking care of the invisible, unseen, the secret place, as Jesus mm-hmm. called it, 
And when you attend to that, you can build a massive structure on top of it. But without that, it's bound to collapse. Mm, and and there's, there's so much danger there. Okay, so going back to Church of the City, New yes, York, yes. which I don't know how you got that. I mean, you, 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 that's like, we're the church of the city. No, it's uh, even, even <laughs> crazier. If you go to church.nyc, that's how you find our church. I mean, it couldn't be simple. Wow. We're, not church, we're not church. We're not the church of the city. We're the church of the city. It's nice. all emphasis. Just God's people in the city. All right. So yeah. talk to us about how you as a pastor who really get this whole faith and work thing. In fact, off the air, you said this is the most significant thing that's going on in the church right now, because if we could get, I mean, this is my opinion. If we could yeah. get Christ followers to live out their faith and their work, we could transform our country. We could transform the world. And people would just realize that work matters to God. How are you helping your uh, congregation, whatever you call them, the, the people that are coming to hear you to teach and preach, how are you helping them to understand that their work matters? So we've got some some best practices that we've developed over the years. Obviously, I'm in the middle of Manhattan, so I, I work in many parts with um, well-educated people who are thinking about their career. So they've, mm-hmm. they've, they've been driven in high school to get into certain uh, uh, universities, then they're looking for certain internships, certain jobs, and all the rest of it. So these are very work-conscious people. And they don't have jobs. They have careers. Mm-hmm. And my job is to help convert a career into a vocation, which is to help them see not just success. So if you were to have a scale of faith and work, unemployed people live with shame. Underemployed people deal with futility. Employed people have nobility because they're working. But then people who have a career are often dealing then with success, but it's people with a vocation are the ones who are really living for the kingdom of God. So my job is in the issue of justice and faith and work is to get people employed to the level where they feel like they're actually making a a contribution and dealing with frustration. But above that, it's to convert human ambition to godly ambition. So a ton of ways we do it. We do um, industry roundtables where we bring people together in particular industries to help them ask questions like, what do I love about my industry? Uh, What scripture informs my theology of my industry? what, What are the temptations and broken parts, the shadow side of my industry? What does following Jesus faithfully look like in my industry? And then networking them together with other people to to work on that. We uh, commission people at certain key times of the year. Mm. So often uh, people will bring the kids up on stage and pray for the kids. We'll often commission the teachers. Thank you. Stand right. up. What you do matters. And so at... But well, what about the financial planners? What about the uh, the the uh, bankers? What I mean, do you commission them as well? Well, they're off in the Hamptons on the weekend, so they're really around. That was a completely stereotypical joke. Uh, we, <laughs> no, we <laughs> that only he could get away with. If we just said that, we'd yes. have been like, oh, we've never been to the so, Hamptons. I mean, so you know, so many of my friends are investment bankers. They work, you know, they work a lot of hours, and so we do a ton of stuff. So we basically help people develop a theology of their industry, which is what is what does this industry look like when it's broken. And what does this industry look like when it's Hmm. working as God intended? And so part of this is sort of like Kuyperian sphere sovereignty is the theological. uh, What was that again? Kuyperian sphere sovereignty. Wow. And in case people didn't get it, this was a high school dropout, right? right. <laughs> but he did. Go I have back. no idea what you just said, though. I mean, okay, I, I, so uh, Abraham Kuyper, who's was okay. a, re- yeah, a reformed theologian, sure. approximately 100 years ago, has the best theology on faith and work. Mm. Everybody is building off Kuyper's vision of culture. Okay. Everybody I know is is echoing, whether they're consciously doing it or they've just picked it up biblically. 
So anyway, he basically says that God has arranged society with human spheres of influence, and there's a way that when they're working properly, they bring glory to God and release human flourishing. And there's a way when they're controlled by sin, they yeah. rob glory from God and they unleash hell on earth. And so Christians are called to be in it, to develop a theology in that particular sphere of industry of what it looks like, and then begin to plot their careers, their ethical decisions, their choices towards that. So we spend time helping people figure out what that looks like for them in the places that they are. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so someone heads into the workplace. What, one of our best practices is proactively helping people develop a theology, their personal gift mix, and then presenting to their employer, here's where I see this industry going. Here's what I'm passionate about. Here's my ethical convictions about this industry, and here's where I want to work. So if you've ever managed people, you know what a gift it is when someone under you says, Here's where we're headed. Here's what I care about. Here's what I want to work on. Here's what I will and will not do. And I will work hard for you. So when those people start bringing After that proactively. After they get up off the floor because y- they y- yeah, sure. shocked. So <laughs> you start proactively bringing that into the workplace yeah. to management. It's unbelievable. And then that bleeds into how people lead and those sorts of things. So. Wow. All right. Like we said, we are in Rogers, Arkansas at the Work Matters Conference. We're talking today with John Tyson. He's the lead pastor from Church of the City in New York. So next time you're in New York, you said it's in Manhattan. So what, what cross streets? So okay. People can look so it up. in the morning, it's in the Upper East Side at 76 and 1st. And at night, it's on 46 and Times Square between 6 and Broadway. Church.nyc to find it. Church.nyc. Okay. You mentioned on, in the last segment that you're working with Praxis Labs out of California. You said it was in California, No, right? it's actually... Um, okay. So I sort of live like in a Christian commune. I say that lightly, <laughs> but a group of families bought a building that's about prayer and entrepreneurship and worship. So okay, and where is it at? It's in on, it's a, uh, 45th and 9th. In so Hell's, it's in, in New York City. It's in Hell's Kitchen, yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Why and do so they call it that? It's a, you don't have time. Okay, we don't podcast. have time for that. Okay. <laughs> you don't have time. You don't want to on know. this broadcast, we don't have a, <laughs> Just trust you, him. You mentioned something off the air that you're, you're, you're working with them to understand redemptive entrepreneurship. I yes. know we only got a little less than three minutes, but tell us a little bit about <laughs> okay, that. Okay, so it's, this is something that Praxis Labs came up with. They basically said that uh, entrepreneurship typically is in three categories. Category number one is win. And the founder's script is dominate, get in, scale, monetize, cash out, leave. And how you do that and the wreck you leave behind, it's almost irrelevant. And these, in many ways, the stories. Someone comes in, builds a unicorn, sells it for a billion, they're out, and they're a winner. There's not a lot of Jesus in that scenario. (laughs) People can do it and be ethically intact, but it's not a Christian framework. And then you've got what a lot of millennials and Gen Z care about, which is enlightened entrepreneurship. And so this would be caring about not just what we do, but how we do it. Supply chain, outcomes, service in the community, uh, double bottom line, that sort of a thing. And that's Mm -hmm. good, but there's something better than that, which is called redemptive entrepreneurship. And redemptive entrepreneurship is asking a question the world isn't asking, which is about true creativity, which is what does God care about in the world? And then how do we start organizations that address those Mm. needs and reflect God's heart? And so uh, enlightened entrepreneurship is often trend chasing and trying to impute goodness to current trends. doesn't evaluate if the trend is good or bad, But redemptive entrepreneurship actually is trying to bend culture towards redemption by what it starts, the imagination that the entrepreneur comes out of, his ethical packet, how he's working and thinking things through, and then how they build what they build ultimately should be pushing our culture towards redemption. So I help mentor entrepreneurs who are working on that. 
You know, I just think it's so wonderful to be able to uncover and to expose our listeners to more things that are happening around the country all the time, Jim, and for them to hear what's happening in New York City and the equipping that um, workplace believers are getting so that they can go and be way more yeah. intentional um, and they can learn more about that, I'm sure, on the church.nyc. Yeah, that's right. And praxislabs, you said, .org. Praxislabs.org. I mean, these guys, are, are, they're putting a case study on, on how to do this well right now. I, I'm just so honored to be connected to them. In 15 seconds or less, where do you see the faith and work movement going next and how it transforms our country? I see it going next uh, into more con- dealing with antithesis. Dealing, dealing with tension and overcoming conflict. We, we act like faith and work is a neutral palette where you just go about like Adam and Eve creating culture. It's contested space. We're going to have to contend for the future of it through mm. humility and integrity. John Tyson, thank you so much for being on I Work For Him today. Thanks for having me on. What a joy. It was fantastic. You, yeah. You're listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Martha and I are on location in Rogers, Arkansas, courtesy of the Work Matters folks. That's right, Jim. So we are here the day of the Work Matters Conference, and it's been exciting because we're getting to have a little bit of time with some of the speakers and panel members and share about what they're talking about with the um the people that have gathered together today or streamed in hopes that maybe for the next time there's a conference that comes along, this will intrigue them and remind them that this is something to put on their calendar and make a part of their um, training experience. Absolutely. We've been combing the highways and the hallways and just trying to grab people that have been speaking and just trying to grab some of their stories. And next up, we've got Shelly Simpson. She's the Executive Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer, I apologize, President of Highway Services for J.B. Hunt. And you might be hearing, hey, we've we've done some other J.B. Hunt interviews. J.B. Hunt is one of the three major... companies here in northwest arkansas you got jb hunt you got walmart and you got tyson foods and hundreds and hundreds of other companies that all interact with those but shelly simpson welcome to i work for him thank you so much so happy to be here we're excited we want to hear your story you know we always ask this question of every new guest shelly we ask how did you come to be a follower of jesus why don't you tell us that story well i was raised in uh, faith by my mother so my mother was a strong believer from her parents and uh, i grew up in a household where my dad was not a believer my mom was and she was the piano player so sunday sunday night wednesday nights uh i grew up singing in church small, little bitty small church mm-hmm. uh pretty much my whole life. The white staple. uh, Yeah, yeah. And so I was indoctrinated in that very, very young. Uh, But I really came to know the Lord. Um, You know, we we used to have revivals and uh, evangelists would come. And I came to know the Lord through uh, church camp when I was nine years old. And then I got baptized. And then about a year later, maybe a year and a half later, thought maybe I really didn't do it. And maybe I don't know. And so got Saved and baptized again. And so that's kind of uh, <laughs> my, my story. So very young, you know, I remember God capturing my heart at a very young age. I remember feeling, you know, that I was to be set apart and that I was different. And I remember thinking that uh, from a super young age. Mm-hmm. And I attribute a lot of that to my grandparents and my mom. Since then, my dad's come to know the Lord. But Excellent. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a good story, actually, Jim. Just for uh, a note on that, my, my father uh, is actually down to his last final days of life. And it was August. August 8th of this year, I have prayed for my father for 40 years, and it was August 8th of this year that I walked into his house, going and spending time every day with him, getting a great opportunity to just get stories and to know what's happening, getting those last moments. Yeah. I walked in and there was a Bible beside my dad. And I said, Dad, wow. And he said, well, you know what, Shell? I had Matt, my brother, 
go get the Bible from storage. And dad was so excited to pick that Bible up and read it to me. He started reading it to me and he started getting choked up. And it was that very moment the Holy Spirit touched him. And I knew and got confirmation, you know what, my dad is going to heaven. And I've told people since then, never stop praying. 40 Mm. years later, I was six years old when I started praying for my dad. And 40 years later, I have confirmation that he's just about to meet Jesus. So that's a big story in Uh. my life through prayer. Amen. Very, very cool. And such an encouragement to our listeners who may have, you know, something, a similar walk where they um, have someone that they've been praying for. Just don't give up. Yeah, don't give up. And and we don't always get an opportunity to Mm -hmm. see that. You know, Mm -hmm. God doesn't always reveal that. So thankful, though, Mm -hmm. that God gave me that as my blessing at that very moment. I came at peace and thought, you know what? He's going to see Jesus as a whole different perspective in my life now. Yeah, I mean, it just it opens up the world when you just have, have that peace. I mean, Total. the funeral is a celebration, yeah. not a funeral. Yeah. So, okay, you don't look like typical trucker material, <laughs> yet you work for J.B. Hunt, which is a transportation company. I mean, they, they transport by train and by sea and by semi-truck and trailer across the country. How did you end up at J.B. Hunt? Well, that's a good story. I uh, was getting my degree in marketing from the University of Arkansas. I was in, it was March, and I wanted to be your local State Farm agent. My mom did that, or I thought about going to work for Walmart as well, because my dad did that. So mm-hmm. I was uh, first-generation college, didn't know really what to go do. And I had a team, someone I went to college with, tell me that they got on at J.B. Hunt in marketing. And um, they told me that they were making $14,000 an hour, or $14,000 a year. And uh, back then, you know, that was 24 years ago. That wasn't a lot of money then either. Right. And uh, I know times have changed. And, and I said, how could you be making 14000 The going rate was 25000 Well, he told me it was hourly, $7.25 an hour. And uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. He said, well, what are you doing between now and when you get your, your job? And I thought, ding, that's a $2 an hour raise from, I was a preschool teacher uh, all through college and worked my way through college. And I thought, well, that's $2 more an hour, 40% raise. I'm going to go apply and uh, have a great summer with a little bit more spending money. And uh, I'm still on my summer gig. (laughs) How many years later now? 24 years. 24 years. That's fantastic. Okay. So at what point in your career did you realize that your work matters to God? Yeah, I, you know, I wish I could say so young because I had such a great upbringing uh, in my life. It was very uh, early in my career that I really reconnected with God, really dedicated uh, to being focused and, and knowing what to do. But, you know, I think you get in this rat race in life. And, you know, I met my husband a year later and then we get married and, you know, I have stepchildren right away and then we have children and I'm just raising babies. And it really wasn't uh, until I went in to quit work <laughs> and I had had my son and I went in to quit, and I got to the very end, and my boss said, stop right there. You can be a great mom and a great worker all in one, and I want you to go home and focus on Peyton. Whatever that means, we'll work it out, and I spent the next nine months extremely frustrated um, because I had planned to be a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I just didn't have the confidence that I could be uh, great outside of the home and inside the home, and you know, God really did a work in me because my grandmother taught me that God gives you the greatest desires of your heart. Well, the greatest desire of my heart was to be a great mom. And the only way I knew to do that was to stay home like my mom did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God really started working in me at that very point. But I, I wound up, um, I can't say the next year was was very fun for me. I was very obedient. That was the one thing I did was the doors were open. I didn't understand why I was in prayer. I was reading the word. I couldn't understand it. And then I got pregnant with my girls. And so twins. <laughs> 
Oh. And um, and and very you know grown up and mature of me to think oh I got you God so you just want me to you know get through the girls and then I'm going to quit so we're connected Lord I understand your plan for me and so um, when when that kind of came about I thought well I'm going to let everybody down easy I'm going to go part time and that's what I did I went back part time uh, for a couple of years with the intent to quit after two years and you know what God just started working my heart about when my girls were about a year old and started helping me realize I was gaining more responsibility while I was part-time and started I started realizing like the platform that he had for me for him for his glory was growing and it he just placed that desire to go back into the workplace and I wasn't really sure why but I will tell you the very first day back on the job I was somewhat apprehensive going back full-time I had I had gotten a promotion to come back. My girls are nearly two at this point, and I come back. It's a Monday morning. My assistant walks in and says, uh, you know, how was your weekend? Mine was great. And I said, what major so great? She said, you know, you might think this is really crazy, but I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And right then, the Holy Spirit came over me. And I thought, this is my Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And here she is right beside me, somebody I'm so close with. And I thought, Lord, if you give me the opportunities, I will speak. And that changed my life. It changed my life. It changed my life and what I thought my kids would think, what I thought, what was work. You know, God calls us to work. But I didn't understand it. And I think that's just a lack of confidence mm-hmm. uh, of what all I could do. And that's because I was thinking of I versus what he could do in me. Sure. <laughs> that's a powerful story. Yeah. So your assistant, she's still you still con- connected to her all these years later. Oh yeah, she's still with the company. She's promoted and doing wonderful. She's in mid management and and doing very well for herself. So how did you get the connection to Work Matters? Well, I um, have a gentleman that I've worked with for uh, all 24 years I've been in the company back about seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, introduced me to David Roth. And he said, hey, they have this speaking event that I think your story would be fantastic for. I want to introduce you to David. And I went, you know, see what you think. And and I'm always open to sharing. Um, You know, I have a lot of mistakes people can learn from faster than I did. And and I did that. And I really enjoyed it. It was a smaller setting. And then from there, um, you know, it was just, I don't don't remember how much longer. Mm -hmm. A few months later, uh, David asked me if I'd be interested in joining the board. And so I joined the board in 2011. And my goodness, so much has changed. You Mm. know, God has blessed Work Matters and has blessed David and Steve Blair as our chairman now. And just their vision in David's heart for you know that connection it has just transformed the way people think about faith at work talk to us about that 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 i hate to use the word evolution as the ministry grew and and today i mean david announced last night you know where they've touched ninety five thousand or yeah. 90 you know yeah. whatever it was a, it was a 90 plus thousand people already this year as a board member, what is your what's your mission? What is your goal for Work Matters? What do you what would you like to see it accomplish? Well, you know, we've had wonderful board members since I've been a part of it, and each person brought something different. But I remember a few big board meetings that really was set on vision. Like, what do we really? What is a BHAG for us? How do we want to go? And it was some of those board members that really pushed, and David, that really pushed us on how should we be thinking about uh, expanding Work Matters and and not just being a 
our little Northwest Arkansas secret, you know, and, and we right. loved it and we thought it was great. But how do we expand nationally? We really had a vision uh, for that. And so, you know, for us reaching a million people, 10,000 companies by 2025, you know, I know at the last board meeting I said, actually, is that goal too small? Mm-hmm. And so for us, it really is just connecting. There wasn't really a way, at least in my career, for me to connect, you know, faith and work. And, and what did that mean? I, I just uh, trial and error and probably lots of errors along the way. Um, but if you think about who needs that, it's really anyone that works, uh, you know, and that, that loves the Lord. And those connections are pretty simple that you could take that globally. Were you able to bring any people to the conference today? Uh, I brought one to the conference today. I actually have a conflict um, with another board that I'm serving for this afternoon. Uh, And so I'm with that board uh, this afternoon overall, but I did bring somebody with me. How do you... I want and, to ask and, and let me say this: we have, yeah. we have a lot of people from JB Hunt. I was just going to yeah. say, oh, there's yeah. not just We're, two name tags yeah, at yeah, JB yeah. Hunt down we have, there. <laughs> we have plenty of people, but I personally brought somebody yes. with me. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's excellent. So, um, you know, just speaking to that in the in the last minute, if someone were to hear about this conference for next year, what would you? Why would you encourage them to come and attend? Well, it's a nationally based program right here in Northwest Arkansas, but you can also access it online. Mm-hmm. So it's so simple and relevant content. It's so difficult to find the content that you can get from the speakers that you can get it from and just the authenticity that you're going to receive. I think that's the big thing is how do you connect? How do you connect with other believers? But how do you connect to the message individually in yourself? How do you take that and be able to move forward in your own personal journey, redefining faith at work for Mm -hmm. you? How is J.B. Hunt a better company because of how you're trying to live out your faith at work? Well, I would say, you know, J.B. Hunt's a fabulous company, you know, before me, without me, uh, you know, all those things. But I think if you think about what makes a church, a business, a community as people, and if you think about the connection that we have to each other with people, I've been there 24 years, and there are many, many, many stories at J.B. Hunt that have been there 24 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from my perspective, living out the principles of Jesus, serving and loving and uh, working with excellence, all of those things, those attributes we're able to bring inside the organization. And there are many times that that's happened in the past but I think being able to focus on those as believers you know it really isn't uh, always about walking up to somebody and saying uh, you know do you know Jesus let me introduce you you know they, they watch actions and mm-hmm. they watch the integrity of the leaders and uh, are we really doing what we say and I think mm-hmm. that's a key component of being in leadership and that's something that I try to do every day you know uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hunt they were strong believers and they have that foundation for us but what's also helped organizationally is we are strong in family and so we believe in the family unit and in supporting our people inside that and what their uh, what's important to them what their value system is so allowing our people to have a value system they can live out and understand and then help support them along the way for us servant leadership is key Mm -hmm. uh, in helping our people grow and have a successful career and home life together. So what does that servant leadership look like? You know, it's really, um, for us, how do we listen? How do we let people lead? Do we? Do you have to be the boss to lead uh, a project or an area? Um, giving people the opportunity to do those things. I think um, oftentimes in a large company, we've grown so fast. It's so hard to connect, you know, every mm-hmm. day. But that's something that we work a lot on is how do we get 
opportunities. So I always say, how do you create relationships so that you can have a moment? So when there is a time of need for someone that you know what the need is, that you can connect on that personal level. It won't just be uh, about business because believe me, they know expectations of working with excellence. That means we want to meet, uh, meet or exceed the expectations of our customers and our shareholders and each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you can really start to help them know, how can I serve you better to allow you to live a more fulfilled life that changes the way you think about it. Do you have an example of a time where you've had an employee, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, anonymously, where you've seen a need and been able to fill it um, as a servant leader? You know, the simplest need that we can fulfill is prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a large event that I was actually hosting. And, you know, when you're hosting a large event, you have a... a strict timeline and you're scripted on things that you're doing and I had to run to the ladies room and was washing my hands and she was washing her hands as well and I asked you know how are you and uh, oftentimes that's that's just a simple greeting that you don't really expect anything back from in in the answer in her voice was I'm okay and I said, well, no, that, that wasn't very convincing. Now, at that very moment, I had two choices, right? I had a very strict schedule that they were expecting me to be. They were waiting on me to come out, and we right. had to go to the next spe- uh, space. But at that very minute, I said, I, I just, I don't know that I, I believe you. How, how are you? Hmm. And she started to talk because she needed to talk. And before we knew it, I said, hey, let's step out of the restroom. Let's step over here to the side. And I just allowed her to speak. And I I heard of her family situation and what was happening. It was just a real struggle. And at that very minute, uh, I said, who is your support system? And can I pray with you right now, Mm -hmm. right here where we're standing? Mm -hmm. And I said that prayer over her. And, you know, there's nothing like knowing that their fellow believers are there with you. And she shared with me, Shelly, I haven't been in church in I don't know how many years. You know, I need that. I need that in my life. Well, that was not just me walking in there. That was a purposed moment that you look for in life. And so I say, do you take the time to create the most out of the moment? Are we so busy in our schedules that we just keep moving on and on and on? Because that's my job and that's my role inside the organization is to, you know, be very efficient and, and be excellent in my work. But if we help people be excellent in themselves, think of how much further they can go. Mm. What a great challenge for all of us to think about in that moment. You know, we have choices to make. And will we be obedient to the Holy Spirit Mm. as you really were in that moment? So thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. That's awesome. So we have been on location, Jim. We are here at the Work Matters Conference in Rogers, Arkansas. It's been a wonderful visit. We have met a lot of amazing people. And I will tell you, um, the culture here. Um, has really surprised us. I guess we shouldn't have been surprised, but we didn't know what to expect. And the culture the, in the community has been amazing. Yeah, and all of the many people that um, we've talked to at some excellent companies. And so we are right now talking with Shelly Simpson, and she is a EVP, a Chief Commercial Officer, President of Highway Services for J.B. Hunt. Uh, what a great organization to have been a part of all these years. So that's that's fabulous. So Thanks here's for a question for you. You've been going to Work Matters conferences for a long time. Okay. So last, did you go last year? I did not go last year. I had a travel schedule okay. for work. So uh, what I want to ask is, you know, what's one of the greatest things you've learned by attending a Work Matters? You, you spoke today. But what's one of the greatest things you've mm-hmm. learned? Yeah. Uh, so I always, uh, most people may love to go to conferences. That could be really exciting for them. I always think, oh, it's a whole day. Oh, my goodness. I have so much to oh, do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but when I finally, I commit to it. I'm very committed to doing the things that I say I'm going to do. It's truly the connection I make with the team 
and people and also just what I hear from the speakers. The speakers are fabulous. Oh, yeah. I have gotten the opportunity to hear, uh, you know, from Tony Dungy and Andy Stanley and, you know, people that truly are great leaders of our lifetime that I wouldn't have the opportunity to hear anywhere else. Uh, but I make a connection at every point of how can I take this and make me better individually, not Shelly the boss, Shelly the individual. Mm. How do I make me better so that I can serve and I can love and I can really live my faith out in the workplace? Shelly, how many people do you have on your team that directly report to you? Uh, directly report to me, nine. Okay. So if we were to poll those nine or do interviews <laughs> on those nine and say, okay, they're not, I'm assuming they're not all Christ followers, all nine of your team members. Hmm. Apparently, with well, this is radio, you can't do it quiet. <laughs> okay, so well, let, let, just, so let me just—I'll uh, we'll just, just go back. That I'll, I'll retract it. We'll, we'll make that assumption that it's not the case. If we were to go in and, and interview them and say, "Okay, how does Shelley's faith impact you and your work? How do you see Shelley living out her faith, and how does it impact you as one of her employees?" Well, um, wow, I'd be afraid what they'd say because <laughs> you know we're so imperfect people. Um, but you know, I think. And I know because I've asked them before, you know, what I I want that feedback. I want to know how I can get better as an individual. And I think they would say I am authentic and I am uh, I do what I say. And that's important to me. I uh, have no problems being courageous on a tough subject and um, I'm loyal to the end. That's so important to me. How can I be loyal? How can I support? How can I help us live together? But you know, they really are. I've been everybody that I work with closely. I didn't answer that question earlier because I was trying to rattle through everybody in my mind. Like, does everybody know the Lord? So many of them, we talk about our faith because they're open about it. Uh, But I was trying to think, have I talked to every single person that I work with about faith? Um, but I think they would say, what you see is what you get. I really do try to live my life uh, as you hear me. I try to walk it as you see me. And with, with many imperfections, and I'm okay with that. I've learned to be okay that I'm imperfect, uh, but he who lives in me is. You know, I think that's one of the things that we all need to kind of come to grips with because um, we realize when, especially when we're interviewing people and stuff, it kind of puts you on the spot and we don't ever want um, you to feel like we're, you know, you're on a pedestal or anything like that. But we realize that people do watch around us. And um, one of the encouragements is that, you know, when you, a lot of people say, when you go to a conference, then I can go back with a rejuvenated Mm -hmm. look at things. And I think that's one of the things I get encouraged by it is like, I may have really messed up last week, but this week I can start over and I can look at um, my employees differently or the people that report to me and, and be honest with them and say, you know what, I really wasn't really very kind last week and I'm sorry about that, but this is a new week. Let's get going. <laughs> um, how old are those teen, those twin girls now? They're 14. They're 14. Okay. Yes. So in 20 seconds or less, how is that authenticity that you live with? How's that working with those 14 year old twin girls? Well, I'll tell you, I love them because they're different. And so they help keep me in check because uh, we don't always get along and we don't always understand. But I will tell you the authenticity with them uh, is that they understand my work and the purpose in work. That is a difference maker in their life. Mm. Excellent. Shelly Simpson, thanks so much for being on I Work For Him this afternoon. Thank you so much. It was fun. I just, that, was, that was fast, but it was very, very fun. Hey, we want to let you guys know this is all made possible because of Work Matters. Mm-hmm. We really want you to engage with Work Matters as an organization. Go online, workmatters.org workmatters.org. Get signed up for next year's conference, figure out how you can stream it, figure out how you can engage with all their different facets of their 
their ministry. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I I work work for him. him.